Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. That's who they are, and it's what they do. So, again, for me to believe that he had a dormant period of, you know, 13 years, I do not. And I think the fact that they saw him purchasing more minutes the day or week before they arrested him, I think it proves I'm right. Hello, Murder Chronicles Nation. We have a treat for you this week. We're going to check in on the status of the Gilgo Beach murders with one of our favorite guests, Cheryl McCollum, who goes by Mac. You met Mac in episode 11 of the Murder Chronicles, What Happened to the Dermans, where in an exclusive lakeside community, an elderly couple was brutally murdered. And to this day, more than eight years later, detectives still have few leads. When we spoke to Mac about that case, she was convinced that even though all this time has passed, it will be solved. If for no other reason, because people just can't keep their mouths shut. I love me an ex-wife, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Chitty, she gonna tell it. And she'll even tell stuff we don't even want to know about. But she's gonna tell it. You cheat on your taxes, you cheat on me, you cheat on everything. You know, she'll just tell stuff. So, you know, you don't ever take that away. And you don't ever take away somebody getting arrested for something else. And while they're in jail, wanting their street cred and they run their mouth and then they tell somebody that calls the DA that says hey I want to make a deal if you'll give me less time on my cocaine charge I'll tell you who killed that elderly elderly couple on Lake Oconee so I always have hope because I've seen every single one of those examples happen so last week I spoke to Mac about the suspected Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Huerman the architect accused of murdering at least three women and is a suspect in a fourth murder Mac has been busy on social media sharing her thoughts on where the Gilgo Beach case stands, and she was gracious enough to talk with me about it for this week's episode. So enjoy. Good Lord. I mean, that is a loaded question, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think we should start with where we are now, like what we know, maybe, Mm -hmm. and then kind of work a little backwards and maybe work a little forward. How about that? That sounds perfect, because he's supposed to be in court tomorrow, right? Correct. And what will that look like? Like, what is he going to court? I mean, like, what will happen tomorrow? I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not an attorney, but I mean, what should happen? I think tomorrow in it a preliminary hearing. And yeah, I think it's going to be the first time we hear exactly what they have and exactly how they got to him. And he's going to probably enter a plea of not guilty, and it's probably not going to take all that long. And that's about it. Okay, so why don't you start off by saying your name and title? Cheryl McCollum, I'm a working crime scene investigator with a Metro Atlanta Police Department and the director of the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. And your podcast? And I'm the host of a podcast called Zone 7. So do you think we'll find out about all the different items that they took out of his house? And what do you think about all that? Like, as that was unfolding, what were you thinking as a CSI (laughs) guru? I was thinking I wanted to be right in the middle of it. Um, What I was watching was stellar police work. They were working in concert with one another. You had 
so many different moving parts in that thing that was orchestrated flawlessly and seamlessly. Now, you got to keep in mind, they didn't have a year to prepare. It's not like they had a plan. And when you start watching street-level officers maintaining a perimeter, and you've got your crime scene people and your medical examiner, and then some of these outside experts, I mean, they probably, with that many guns, if it had been my scene, I would have brought in the ATF. That's a lot to catalog. That's a lot to understand. I would have probably let them do it. Um, you also had, you know, your crime scene people, they had a cursory understanding of the crimes, but what were they looking for? Bottom line is they didn't know. So there were like over 270 guns, like not all in sure. guns, but different pieces. Sure. I mean, talk a little bit about how much work and effort that is from, you know. <laughs> okay. And, and <laughs> I want people to understand too, when you're talking about things that have serial numbers and calibers and, you know, the manufacturer and all of these things, just to document and catalog that many is going to take a team because they have to get it right. This isn't something where you can say, well, it looks like a 40 cal and move on. No, you have to be perfect here. So again, how many did he purchase? Where did he purchase them from? Who did he buy them from? Was it a straw purses? Was he at a store? Was he at a armory? I mean, where did he go to do this? You know, that's going to, again, add to their timeline. And I can't tell you how critical all of these steps are. So if you've got 250 some odd guns, some might be $1,200, some might be 50 bucks. So if you just say, we've got 250 some odd guns at an average of $350, you're talking about $100,000 that he has spent on guns, right? This is a man who's an architect that has spent $100,000 on a hobby and his house on the front porch is being braced up by a two-by-four. What do you make of that? He is telling you what's important to him. And men will often do that. So again, there is somebody in your audience right now that is single that is dating somebody. He spends every waking moment playing golf, practicing golf, buying golf clubs, buying shoes, watching golf on TV. So when you get married, don't act shocked what he's doing on Saturday. He's telling you. So you can either get you a set of clubs or you can get you a <laughs> hobby because he's going to be playing golf. That's what he likes. And what's Any interesting, man. hold on one second. What's interesting sure. is that he, none of his victims, there was no guns involved. But we it, don't know that. Okay, right. There could we be. We know that they might not have been shot, but we don't know a gun wasn't involved, just like Delphi, Indiana. I believe a gun was involved. I don't believe that was the murder weapon. I think that's how they were controlled. Mm -hmm. Okay, so again, when you've got victims that are bound, why are they going to let you tie them up? couple of reasons. They're either not conscious or you've got a gun on them. So she's going to put one handcuffed on her and then put her arms behind her back because you're telling her to with a gun. 
And that's how you get her handcuffed. And the rest is easy from there. But were, again, were they, were they were they duct taped or were they handcuffed? Well, remember, they found a handcuff key. And again, I don't know because the handcuffs could have been taken off, but they found a handcuff key. They found rope. And that's why I'm saying at a scene like this, you don't know how the pieces of the puzzle fit yet. But you take the handcuff key anyway. You take your portrait where it looks like the woman's been beat up. You take it anyway. Does it fit? We don't know yet. It looks odd. It doesn't look like it should be where it is, right? Mm -hmm. But they've got to take everything, put it in a warehouse type room on all these different tables and then try to figure out where do these items fit into the scenario that we understand happened. That's a really good point. Like they don't know what fits and they don't right. know, you know, this the latest news and I don't know if it's been debunked yet is that, you know, he could have been involved in another serial killer case close by. Do you sure. know about that? Let's talk about that. Okay. Well, you're talking about in New Jersey. Yeah. So again, if this was my case and we were involved with what I would consider our task force, I would have a war room. And in that war room, I would have the first set of victims on one wall. I would have the other set on another wall. And here's what you have got to start to understand. Could this be the same person? One, are there similar MOs? Are there any similar signatures? Again, we don't know yet. I don't, I don't believe that law enforcement has shown all of their cards. So there's some things that they know happened to those victims that they have not released. Mm -hmm. So I would look at the Long Island victims and the New Jersey victims. What do we have? Are they all sex workers? Were they all face and ease? Were they all nude? Were they all, you know, injured with their hyoid bone? Give me something that says, yeah, these look similar. We already know there's a cluster and there's a cluster. Well, that's odd enough, right? They're mm -hmm. in two places he's known to be. So to me, it would not be appropriate that you're not looking at New Jersey. You've got to look at New Jersey. You've got to look at South Carolina. You got to look at Nevada. You got to look at Rhode Island and Massachusetts and Connecticut. They're all right there. He could get there easy within two hours in any direction. So if there's another grouping, another dumping ground where the victims are within 500 feet of each other and they're all sex workers and they're all petite and they're all Caucasian and they're all female except for one or two. And again, you got to look at that too. Because if you start with what happened in Rhode Island, you have one Asian male, but he was wearing women's clothing. So again, on that board in the war room, according to his computer, he searched Asian teen, right? Which he is fine. He did. So here's my question. Was that searched before this victim went missing or after? And the bigger question that I have Whose clothes were they? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Were they another victim's or did he come and drag? That's going to be important. That's going to be important because that would also break that MO, which they will do. And were the other victims naked? Because if that victim had his. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. So if all the others were nude. Why was he dressed? So did the killer make him dress in another victim's outfit? 
Well, that again, that might be something law enforcement already knows because they know possibly what somebody was wearing when they went missing. Did the clothes fit this person? Were they too big or too small? Whatever. Do you think but again? Do you think I'm they'll charge, do you think they'll charge him with more stuff tomorrow, like the fourth victim, uh, Brainerd Barnes? I don't think so. I think tomorrow is going to have very little surprise. I think that we're going to know what's coming. This is the solid case that they've got. This is their foundation. I don't think they're going to mess that up tomorrow. I think it's going to be straightforward from the hip. Okay. They Because they don't have to rush, right? So they've got four. They possibly have 10. There's no reason to, to get in a hurry to do anything. Most people think, oh, there's an arrest. So the investigation stops. Well, that's not true. At arrest, a lot of times is when the investigation truly ramps up. So in, unless he asked for a speedy trial, right, that mm -hmm. would change that. So then they'd have to figure it out pretty quick, right? Well, for those four. But again, he can be charged later. You don't have to do it all today. Yeah. He ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Talk about the belt. I remember I saw something mm -hmm. on social media where you posted something about the belt. And mm -hmm. I was like... I didn't see that belt anywhere in the charging documents. What, what, tell me about that. When they first put that out, trying to connect this belt with somebody, I thought that's going to be the thing that breaks this thing wide open. I really did. Looking at it, it looked like one of those belts from the seventies. You know how you would get the leather belt and then emboss the initials mm -hmm. and the initials looked unusual. They were shaped, un, you know, unusual. So people didn't know if it was a, you know, an HM or a WH, or they didn't know what it was because um, it could have been, you know, one direction or the other direction. Right, right. But again, looking at genealogy, one of our experts said, well, his grandfather's name was William. So there's your, you know, WH. The other thing that was unusual to me is no sibling recognized that belt. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, if, if I keep something of my father's, my, my dad's watch, my sisters know what that watch looks like. So it would be unusual to me that somebody in the family wouldn't recognize that belt if the person had siblings or. Do you know if he has siblings? He does. He's got a brother in South Carolina. That's who he was moving to retire on the same type area and, you know, buy up a bunch of land. That's why I'm saying South Carolina is relevant to me. You can't not look at it. What do you know about his history and background? I didn't know that, that he was move planning a move to <clears throat> South Carolina. Well, I mean, I just know he's married. He's got a son with special needs. He's got a daughter, about 26, I think, that worked for him at his firm. Um, he's got the brother in South Carolina. They were planning to retire and live in South Carolina, and they both were going to have large pieces of property that they were just going to, you know, ride out their golden years, so to speak. And, you know, again, his poor daughter, I mean, here she not only gets land blasted with who her dad is, she's also now unemployed. She's trying to, I'm, I'm sure, help her mother process what's going on. And, you know, her brother, it's just a horrible situation for everybody all the way around. I mean, you've got families that now have maybe an answer, maybe a face, but then you've got other families that still don't know. They're still not connected. I mean, it's just the ripple effect is massive on this thing.
What do you think about from a forensic standpoint, the hairs with the wife, like how <laughs> awful is that? Like she, so they awful. thought she was out of town, right? It's so awful. Well, you know, first of all, again, I'm going to go back to what incredible work when you're talking about a scene that is outdoors in like a marshy type area with animals and heat and everything else. And that person finds one hair on the back of a piece of burlap. I mean, that's just, that's golden work right there is all I can tell you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, the way they connect him with the pizza crust, you know, it was just remarkable, brilliant type of work. So, you know, I'm hearing a lot of stuff like, how in the world did it take so long? You have somebody that is very skilled at line, very skilled at hiding. He selected seven burner phones. He literally was sitting on just this heinous life and three adult people living in his house were unaware of it. His coworkers were unaware of it. And when I tell you he had not an obsession, but he was addicted, not just to porn, but torture porn. That is something you cannot hide. It's just not. So like if somebody in a movie is getting strangled, he's going to giggle. If somebody's, you know, being like he's watching Dexter, he's going to get off on it. I mean, Dexter is porn to him. It's really? foreplay. Of course, because that's what he likes. He likes the fear. He likes the look at his searches again. Right. I, when I tell you men rarely, rarely can hide a hundred percent of the time. They just can't. So he's probably very encouraging. Oh, go visit your family in Iceland. Take a month, take the kids, you know, go because he, he's not a great husband. He needs time without you there. So he can do what means the most to him. Again, their money and their time equals what's important to them. And anybody listening to me right now, if you're like, oh, I just can't believe that. If you're a mama, you can. You never go to the store. You don't think of the children. You don't go to the store and go, I'm going to get wine. I'm going to get some candles. I'm going to get <laughs> all my favorite desserts. I'm going to get, uh, oh, what I like for breakfast. That don't happen. You're mm -hmm. like, well, this child likes this and this child likes that and school's starting back. I've got to get all this together. I've got to pre-make some meals and have some, you know, after school snacks. You know how you do. You well, I mean, it's, it's a special occasion for moms to do that list. It's not something that's a day-to-day. -day. It's a special no. occasion. Whereas this guy, that's what his world was. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something. Even if mom is having a special occasion, what is she doing? Got to get the kids somewhere. Got to make sure they're good. You know what I mean? You still yeah. have that factor that they're right there all the time. That's not his world. He don't care nothing about that house. He don't care nothing about the wife. He doesn't care nothing about the kids. He cares about this. He sits in his car alone. Neighbors say sometimes for hours. Well, what do you think he's doing? I think I know what he's doing. What do you think he's doing? I think he's jacking off. Really? He is watching porn all the time. And again, if you look at the searches, just the list that they've published, 
If you've got seven cell phones and an iPad and a computer and a work computer, how much time is spent looking things up, downloading movies, watching the movies, reading about different things? If he's not shopping or hunting, and I mean hunting for a dumping ground or a victim, he's looking at different websites. Who am I going to contact? Who am I going to call? He could have had one cell phone. He could have had three. He could have had five. He chose seven. So again, that's important to him. We just have to find out why. So are those cell phones from victims? Are they literally trophies that he's calling the next victim on? Because we already know he's good for that. He I called mean- a victim's sister from her phone. So he's twisted enough. So that was his reliving of a, like a real trophy, like describing what he did, right? Talk a little bit about that from your perspective. He's next level. This is not a guy that just returns to the scene of the crime and from a distance watches the mama fall apart and watches all the police run around trying to interview people and figure out what happened and, you know, the brass show up and try to speak to the media. That's not this guy. He is so manipulating and so twisted that he picked up the victim's cell phone and called her sister, spoke to her by name, and told her what he did to her sister. That that's next level. Uh, and 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 the fact that he would check the voicemail is it feels like going along your line of like he's enjoying hearing like, hey, are you there? Where are you? Give me a call. I'm really worried about you. Like right. how many messages? I mean, is that what he's right. doing? That's what I'm thinking he's doing. Is that I, what I can tell you when he made that call, he was naked. Absolutely a hundred percent. No doubt in my mind. This is how he gets off. This is not somebody that says, oh, you know, choke me a little bit. No, he wants torture. So stabbing you a little bit, strangling you, maybe tying you up for hours so that he's got you so afraid of him and so afraid of what's coming. And maybe he's even telling you what he's going to do to you and exactly how you're going to die and exactly where he's going to put you. And maybe he drove you over there and showed you where he put the other victims. That is the level of person we're talking about. So it wasn't just, well, you know, I killed somebody and that was it. This is somebody that is either watching, researching, hunting, buying, or doing all the time. Talk about, well, so his last uh, murder victim, it, it sounds like it was like 2010, but then there's others like how he couldn't just stop based on everything you're saying. So what, what do you think was going on here? I had somebody ask me, what's he been doing since 2010 killing So once it was put out that they located this dumping ground, he most likely found another dumping ground. And that's part of his hunting and driving and picking and selecting. Maybe he went to another state like Ted Bundy, right? Maybe he changed his MO just enough. Maybe he changed his signature just enough that we missed it. But I think it's coming. And I think now that we've got DNA, now that we've got a face, now that some people are coming forward saying, yes, I had some dealings with him. He creeped me out. 
you know, or I saw him here at this park or I saw him on the subway or wherever he was doing his thing. And let me be clear, every single person that he fooled with and tried to frighten, he wasn't going to kill everybody. So some people, he just brushed up against them at the grocery store and made them feel weird and uncomfortable. Some people, he probably said something really inappropriate. Again, the reaction was just something he craved. That's what he wants. And again, this was who he is 24 hours a day. I often say, and it's one of my mantras, there ain't no such thing as a part-time serial killer or a part-time rapist or a part-time child molester. That's who they are and it's what they do. So again, for me to believe that he had a dormant period of, you know, 13 years, I do not. And I think the fact that they saw him purchasing more minutes the day or week before they arrested him, I think it proves I'm right. What have you heard from other, you know, people who saw him in the truck for hours? What are some other anecdotal things that you've heard about just this idea of him being super creepy? Because, I mean, I, I read something where like a neighbor didn't want her kid going trick or treating over there. Like mm-hmm. what? I heard that. Yep. What have you heard? I've heard that. I've heard some teenagers say that was the house you just kind of avoided. Like if they were out trying to make money to cut grass, they just didn't even go there. I heard that Halloween, that was the house. You just crossed the street and went around. Um, But again, that's how he would want it. You're doing him a favor by not coming there, by not bugging him, by not knocking on the door. He doesn't want you inside his house. He doesn't want you to see it. He doesn't want you to see that everything is cataloged and almost like a hoarder. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to see anything, smell anything, ask about anything. Hey, aren't you an architect and you're having to hold your house up? That's a little weird. But then when you go in, you see this huge walk-in vault with, you know, three feet of cement on all sides. That doesn't make any sense to people. Wait a second. I missed that. What is this? So when you walk in the house, what is it? Apparently down in the basement, they had first said there was some type of soundproof room. But then it turned out that was the walk-in vault for these guns. But in order... What he chose to do, again, he chose to do this. He could have bought safes. He could have bought five guns, but he wanted almost 300. So he built this cement encased room where he poured the cement. He designed the room as an architect. So, you know, the walls are so thick. Again, he's protecting these guns from theft or to be seen. So if people did come over, let's say, to work on the air conditioning or fix plumbing, they wouldn't see what's behind that door. Crazy. Do you think that that was maybe his vision to have Vic bring victims to his home? Or do you think well, that it, was- it checks out for me? Because, again, when you're talking about torturing somebody, that's not a fast crime. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a space. Well, you can't go to a hotel or a motel and do that. You can't get an Airbnb and do it. So if you had your own place, like H.H. Holmes had the murder hotel. I was hotel. just going to say that, yes. Yeah. And so, you know, even BTK, I mean, that's something Carrie Rossman and I talked about. Her dad wanted his own place that he designed. Well, this dude is an architect. Of course, he wants his own place that he's designed in his head. Again, if he's the killer, right, it would check that this would make sense that he would spend 50 grand to build this vault. Mm -hmm. 
And he knows that his wife would go out of town. So that would be something that would track too. Because the country. Mm -hmm. Right. And also that, oh, it's for my guns. That's that's the explanation. Like I would buy that. I mean, not that I would buy that, but you know what I mean? Like I could see his wife. Of course. Of course. And they had a son or have a son with special needs. So if he said to her, hey, I'm going to lock this room from the outside so he doesn't get in there and doesn't know what he's doing. I don't want anybody hurt. Great. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So you- literally in plain sight, he is locking her out of a room in her own house. Exactly. What do you think of, um, I don't know if you, they never played the recording of the one woman who called 911 and it was mm-hmm. like a harrowing like 20 minute call that they never released. Right. Um, and I don't know which victim she is um, in, in this. Um, but you talked earlier about what they en- endured and just judging by the little bits that I've heard that, that were released, not much. I mean, she tried to get help and she was being chased and mm-hmm. she sounded like she was drugged. Like what, what's your take on that? If anything, again, I want that up on the wall. I want the process. I want every single thing that I can possibly know on that wall. So again, if we didn't know how the victims were left and we just got a call that somebody left screaming from that house, I wouldn't know to take burlap. That's meaningless to me. That's something that people might use in farming or working, or I would never take burlap. And that scene, if I didn't, again, if I didn't have the bodies, that would mean nothing. Again, now that we know and we know there's a possibility of 10 or 14 or 25, however many victims, you take everything. So if you watched what they took out of that house, yes, it was creepy, but that doll, don't ignore that. Again, how does it fit? Don't know yet. Does it fit? I don't know. Does it creep me out and possibly could have souvenirs of the victims? Absolutely take the freaking thing because we can always give it back with his internet searches with little girls. Yes. Yes. You know, and we know there was a baby. There was one baby. So again, I don't know how it fits, but Mm -hmm. everything goes until I know I don't need it. Mm -hmm. I would, Mm -hmm. I would bust out the walls. I would take up the flooring. I'm going to dig up the yard because I don't know what he's done. And I know how twisted it seems. And again, anything he researched, like the Playboy magazine, I don't hear anybody really talking about that. Okay. If you looked at it, it looked like it was in mint condition, like somebody that's a collector, right? That particular issue looks to me to be the issue that's the last nude pictures of Marilyn Monroe. That's critical to me because again that would put him as at a 20 something year old and a lot of people have a theory that Marilyn was murdered that it wasn't suicide but either way was there harm done to her yes was it violent yes and then you have all the other stuff right mixed in if that's a magazine that he has kept all those years and has kept it in mint condition for 40 years I would not ignore that I think that you bring up some really, really interesting points. What do you think about the cell phones and the mm-hmm. connecting with the victims and just your two cents on that? 
if it were my case, I have to know why seven. It's important to him. Again, he took the time. He spent the money. So they're important. So they're either trophies from his top victims that he still fantasizes about because it was such a perfect event, or is it possibly each phone is connected to a different state? So you got New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, South Carolina. So when that phone rings, he knows where the sex worker's calling from. He doesn't even have to waste time saying, well, where are you at? Because she would think that's weird. Why do you not know I'm, I'm in Rhode Island if you want to meet me tomorrow in Rhode Island? So I don't know how they're, let me be very clear. I don't know how they're connected, but I'm just telling you, he selected the dumping ground. He selected the victim. He selected the day and the time and the event. He selected those phones as well. So I would personally want to know about them. I would also want to know what he researched on each phone. I want to know every incoming and outgoing call and text message. I want to know what photographs he took. Did he take weird selfies? Did he take inappropriate photographs? All, all seven phones would be on that wall and they would overlay for me the timeline. So, so what again, we know is that they're all burner phones. But we well, don't they, know if they're using burner. right. They're using the word burner, but keep in mind he can attach minutes to them. So quite possibly they have internet capability because several of them they have alluded to him researching and looking things up on Google. So it's not a flip phone burner phone. So he could change SIM cards. He could do, you know, different things. But again, these burner phones, as they're calling them, and his cell phone every now and then are at the exact same place at the exact same time. I guess I was really surprised, too, that he was connecting so much with each victim, according to the the documents. Like, he, it wasn't just like a one-off. Like, he right. went to one of their homes. Like, that was risky, you know? Yes. I mean, it's ultimately yes. one of the things that got him caught because they connected the the truck to one of right. the victims and then the yeah. other one going to her uh, to her home and then Un the unbelievable eyewitness to not only know the vehicle know it's the first generation get the color right unbelievable eyewitness i mean that was a huge huge help what so. do you make of that though it's not it seems like he's a very meticulous serial killer because obviously he's gotten away this long but then that's a huge risk that you know he's but made mistakes but he's an architect, so his mind is going to be very mechanical. That shouldn't surprise anybody. And a lot of people say, well, he got lazy. He didn't get lazy. This is not a lazy man. This man will work to, to do these events, okay? So he's not lazy. Does he get relaxed at times? Sure. But he got away with it, possibly for 40 years, Mm -hmm. Most people don't start killing in their 40s. So right. if he started killing in his early 20s, there's so many more victims out there. No and where, question. Did they, where did they find that belt? With with one of the victims, and I'm not sure which victim. Okay. Yeah, it was left, which, you know, in his haste, it could have dropped or whatever. But again, it would surprise me if they were really questioned that somebody related to him would not remember that belt. Yeah, for sure. Um, no. 
Anything else that we should talk about? Well, I mean, I think we're all in the same boat. I mean, I think we're all trying to put our theories together and trying to help law enforcement. But I will just say again, and this is something that I do want to highlight. You had your crime scene people. You had your homicide detectives. You had your medical examiner. But the biggest takeaway for me to make sure everybody understands the professional level that that scene was processed by they had actual folks from the crime lab on scene. Is that really, is that, what, what is, is that, next, how is that next level for the average person? Well, because normally I'm going to be the crime scene person. I'm going to collect the evidence. I'm going to take it back to my department. I'm going to make sure everything is bagged and tagged perfectly. I'm going to fill out all the paperwork and then I'm going to drive it to the crime lab. Then eventually somebody from the crime lab might grab it and do their testing or processing that I can't do. And then you've got a chain of custody. They have taken the crime scene person out of it. The crime lab took custody from there. So you don't have all these middlemen doing things with your evidence. It's from the crime scene to the crime lab. Wow. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And then what you have is you've got the prosecutor. The prosecutor was there too. So you've got the prosecutor making sure all the search warrants were great. You've got the crime scene people doing all the canvassing and searching and digging and collecting. Then you've got the crime lab people taking it and processing it right freaking there if they can. And if they can't, they're taking it. So then you have the medical examiner saying, yes, that's a bone. No, that's not a bone. So it it was a beautiful thing to watch. And I think that like, especially because there's been a lot of criticism with law enforcement in this case and, and the prosecutor's office and just higher level, like all you're smiling right now, people can't see, but there's been a <laughs> lot of drama with this case. And it sounds sure. like they are making sure that every single T is crossed and every single I is dotted, right? You, When have you ever seen the medical examiner and crime lab people and the DA at a scene? Well, in your experience, probably never. This is I've never seen the crime lab at a scene. Never. Now, we've called people out, like, after the fact, kind of. But I'm saying as far as ballistics and DNA and, you know, normally they don't come to a scene. They wait at the crime lab for the evidence to come to them. So mm -hmm. to have them on scene was remarkable. It was a beautiful thing. Awesome. Well, you're amazing. I always love chatting with you. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast and like what, what's the format so people can listen and hear how? Sure. Yeah. Well, there's six police zones in Atlanta. So way back in the day before we had cell phones, we would just have to say over the radio, hey, let's five nine at zone seven after the shift. So that, that way people listening on police radios didn't know we were all going to go meet at a bar. So zone seven <laughs> to meet five, nine is to meet, but zone seven was our bar. So that's oh, the way we, I love that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Next time you're so, gonna next to me, uh, five, yeah. nine zone seven, meet me zone there. seven. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and so zone seven became that inner core people. So you have, everybody's heard of choir practice. Well, choir practice, anybody could show up and drink and have a good time and tell stories. Your zone seven are only your most trusted people. So if you had a partner that you thought was on the take and you needed to really ask somebody, what do I do? Cause I don't want to get hemmed up, right? Or you wanted to maybe take the next level and become a sergeant. So you wanted to talk to somebody. What is the job really? Am I going to hate it? Cause I'm behind a desk or can I still do the job and you know, have some 
you know, fun. So those are your people that have your back, that you trust, that you love, that, you know, can tell you when you're wrong and support you when you're not. And and that's, so that's how I decided to do the podcast that whatever the case is we're working on, the person that I would have on with me is somebody from my actual Zone 7. I love it. And I think that's awesome. Well, Zone 7, Cheryl Mack McCollum, thank you so much for um, chatting with me. Absolutely. I love it always. Thank you so okay. much, Carolyn. All right. Bye. Bye. The Murder Chronicles is a pie-in-the-sky production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We are produced by Brandon Morgan and myself, music by Soundstripe. For Pie in the Sky Media, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.